0: Hey there, you've reached Vernon First Baptist Church. My name is Randy. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to be celebrating Palm Sunday with you and looking forward to the true King. As we look at Jesus coming in on Palm Sunday, why on a donkey? What was that all about? And how that is to impact us as we live our faith out. So we invite you to journey along. Wayne is going to Give us a little update as we continue to pray and give to Ukraine and the crisis there. And then he'll read our scripture. And you get to hear me over these next three weeks. Palm Sunday, the true king. Easter Sunday, the risen king. The Sunday after, the living king. So join in. Good morning,
1: everyone. Before we uh, get into the scripture reading, Pastor Randy had (coughs) suggested that I give you an update on our donations to the Ukrainian Relief Fund. A couple weeks ago, we were, thanks to the generosity of everybody, able to send them $1,500. And since then, we've received in donations another $1,100. So we'll be sending that off to the Canadian Baptist ministries uh, probably in a couple weeks, so there's still time to uh, send money uh, to help in the relief in in the Ukraine. The scripture reading this morning is taken from Luke 19, verses 28 to 42. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there. No one has ever ridden that colt. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? say, The Lord needs it. <coughs> Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to uh, to the Mount of Olives, (coughs) excuse me, And saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Thank you so much, Wayne. Well, you could almost hear Peter as Jesus is coming in, announcing with his announcer voice, and now... The moment you've all been waiting for. Here he comes, weighing in at uh, your average weight, Uh, standing, I guess your average height. Well, he's not that much to look at, the normal guy from Nazareth, the garden variety Galilean. And here he comes, folks, riding in on his mighty donkey. Hmm. What is going on? There's no way to get around it. As far as kings go, Jesus does not seem that impressive. And this whole Palm Sunday, coming into the greatest city in his area, riding on a donkey, does not do much to further his image as a great king, does it? Now, some might be quick to quote Revelation. As someone did this week when I was talking about this, they said, well, but there's Revelation 19. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire. The armies of heaven following him riding on white horses dressed in fine linens he treads the wine presses of the fury of the wrath of god almighty and on his robes and on his thigh he has his name written king of kings and lord of lords see jesus is no pushover and one day he will be riding in like this and some might be quick to quote zechariah 9 9 if they know some of their old testament rejoice greatly Daughter Zion, shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly or humble, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a donkey. Showing, quoting this, showing that the messianic king at some point had to come in on a donkey. That's what Zechariah prophesied. Which is probably why the people at that point when they saw him riding in on a donkey, they didn't throw their palm fronds away right then and say, we're done with this guy. Where's the white stallion? Come on. They knew, at least some of them knew, that the Messiah, the anointed one, the king who was to come, the one who was to be the fulfillment of all kings, the one who would bring peace, shalom, God's wholeness, they knew that the Messiah might actually be arriving on a donkey. Well, could you picture this today? Maybe when I was applying to be pastor, if I'd come trotting in on donkey, would that have impressed you? Maybe my skills if I stayed on for eight seconds, depending on the donkey. I think it would be a great test of our leadership today are you willing to ride in to town on a donkey somehow that great picture of putin on his horseback just doesn't seem the same on a donkey as someone wrote it wouldn't have quite the impact and there's two questions that come to mind for me when i think about this passage why a donkey and then what does this all mean for us. So pray with me, and let's explore these today. Lord, I ask for your guidance, for your Spirit's filling, to guide my words, to open our hearts to your living word, that you would meet with us through this passage today. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. If we are to navigate the world we live in, with the extreme emotions, the polarization, the challenges that all are around us, I believe we need to see what Jesus has for us in this passage, in this action. So, first of all, what's up with the donkey, Jesus? Why a donkey? And I, I just couldn't help myself but look up some donkey jokes when we're talking about donkeys. They seem to, they seem to be. And I think God has a sense of humor when He gave us donkeys. Now, what do you call a baby donkey? A burrito. Huh? You get it? Burro burrito. Now, what do you call a frightened baby donkey? A chicken burrito. You get it? And now here's a, here's a tricky one. You really got to think through this one. What has six legs, four Eyes, two heads, and a tail. Jesus riding on a donkey. I guess anyone actually riding on a donkey. And what's a donkey's favorite party game? You might be able to guess this one if you're a donkey. Pin the tail on the human. <laughs> yeah, they want back. One of them went back on us. Now, all joking aside, we've already looked at Zechariah nine. Nine, stating that the Messiah would be on a donkey, on the, on the foal or colt of a donkey. The other point, the other part of that verse is so important. Triumphant and victorious, it says, is he lowly or humble riding on a donkey. The donkey represent, represents humility, humble leadership. Our king is a humble king, and that's why I think it would be such a great test for our political and even religious leaders today. Humility is something that can be in short supply at times. Now, a favorite pastor of mine recently preached on humility. Here he is. In I don't know if that humbles him or not, but you can ask him later. He humbles himself for our benefit so many times. But Lori, Pastor Laurie McKay said this, and this is powerful. True humility means not trying to be someone God has not meant you to be. To understand that he has given you gifts and talents specific to the life he has in mind for you and to use your life for that purpose. Without jealousy of those of higher callings, without whining that you should be esteemed better than you are, it means living your life in joy and in the peace that you are living it within God's will, no matter how simple and unremarkable it seems. And he lives that out with the humble wisdom in his leadership and service. It's not about showing off or gaining power. It's about serving faithfully. Now, Jesus also loves paradox. And so I don't think, I think when he read that scripture of Zachariah and thought through this situation, of I'm going to be coming in, but I'm going to be coming in on a donkey. Isn't that great? Because he loved paradox. And one reason why G.K. Chesterton said that paradox has been defined as truth standing on her head to get attention. And Jesus loved to challenge us in our thinking. He was a master of paradox. The last is first. Giving is receiving. Dying is living. Weakness is strength. Losing is finding. The least is greatest. Poor is rich. Serving is ruling. Jesus loved to use paradox. And though many people understood that the king, the Messiah, that Jesus might come in riding on a donkey, they would have expected him to step it up pretty quickly. All right, that was fun. You fulfilled that Zechariah passage. But now let's do away with these Romans if you're the Messiah. Come on, king, shift gears and get them out. This is our holy land. But just as when Jesus had some harder words for them after feeding the 5,000, and many walked away from him, there wasn't anyone defending him when it came time for his crucifixion. They, They had left. Where were all the crowds when he was being tried? Some, may have even joined with those against him once that they saw he wasn't about to overthrow the Romans. Don't pretend to anyone that Jesus is always easy to understand. He wasn't then, and he isn't always now. So what does this mean for us today? Well, first of all, I want to say that it means that we follow the king of peace. He wasn't there to overthrow. He was there to win in a whole different way. And if we're to follow this true king of peace, we need to realize is that Jesus' kingdom, his kingdom of peace, is one of humility. That we have to live out that way. Now we have been going through a hard time as a denomination, as an association of churches recently, and today's circle might be quite hard for many of us as we prepare for it. And as I, one thing that I did to prepare for this is to look back at Baptist history and found out that there are quite a few splits that have happened over the years. And I noticed that many of those arguments happened when churches, people in churches, had a lack of humility. They felt what was right, and they were fighting for it at the expense of others. And so as we wrestle with some big topics May we picture ourselves riding on a donkey like our King, humble, not on a stallion, fighting for a cause. As Jesus came through the crowd that Palm Sunday, some called out, we can take a look at verse 38. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. They saw, they hoped. And then they said this, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They were calling for peace, the wholeness, God's shalom that was in heaven, calling for it because they did not experience it. But did they really understand what they were asking for? In any case, the Pharisees next thought, these guys are out of line, calling this guy the king. And so they say, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And what does does Jesus respond? I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. I love it. Now what Jesus does next, though, shows his heart. He doesn't throw open his arms and say, Oh, I exalt in this praise. Look at me. I am so great. Ah. No. No, he doesn't exalt in that. If we look at verse 41, we can see what he says, what he does first. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over. He knew who he was, but he didn't have to pump himself up in the crowd. Because who he was was one that wept for that city. And then he says, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. When we live in the humility of our king, we begin to see things through his eyes, to feel things through his heart. May we weep for this world. Too often, too often our faith becomes the faith of right thinking, right doctrine, right belief, being right. We seek to obey God, to obey his word, and that's good. But the greatest commandment, Jesus said, is to love our Lord, the Lord our God, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And I think it's hard to truly love without weeping. If we have his heart of peace filled with his very presence, the Holy Spirit, which he promises us, It will cause us to weep as we look at the brokenness around us. So I ask you on this Palm Sunday, can we live like the true king? Now, I believe that all of this does not mean that we're just doormats, that we go around only riding on donkeys. If you have a Mustang, you can drive that. That's all right. That's fine by me. You can see, they don't, don't call any cars donkey, you know. I just bought a new Ford donkey. Wouldn't go over that well. But we don't have to be doormats, no. No one would ever accuse Jesus, though he's the king of peace, of being a doormat, a pushover, a wuss. But he did not show his strength in the midst of the broken world through physical might. Remember how he faced the issues of his day? Picture the woman caught in adultery. I always love how it's the woman caught in adultery. Last time I looked, it took two. And when he came to the aid of that woman, abused by the men, dragged out in front, shamed, he stood up to them as he should, but he didn't resort to hitting them. Didn't need to. He would ask a question often and he did then one that would get them to examine their hearts and he did this often, a challenge to them. He would stand in the gap often too, even joining outcasts for a meal, causing oppressors to vilify him and hate him too. Jesus knew what it would take to make true peace he understood a truly nourishing righteousness and sense of justice unfortunately throughout history the church has not always followed jesus in this way our christian kings kept conquering other lands imposing our faith on others instead of leading with humility Making true peace. I've noticed that even Putin justifies his actions with scripture. Have you noticed that? Quoting quoting Jesus. Greater love is no one than this, than a man lays down his life for a friend. That's how our soldiers are out there, is what he says. He believes he's fighting a holy war. And many Christians following a certain mindset are supportive of him. Believe it or not, I just saw this I just saw this article this week. War in Ukraine is testing some American evangelical support for Putin. Really? No doubt. It seems absurd. How could anyone stand by and not condemn what is going on in ukraine how could this in any way be called christian yet perhaps we begin to see in this a bit of our own history in this event a desire for power and control since the 1500s the christian church decreed that European empires had the moral and legal right to discover and claim non-Christian lands as their own. This was known as the doctrine of discovery. Go ahead, go discover. And it's rooted in the idea of terra nullius. That this land that you're going to and discovering is empty and it could just be taken by the settlers who come in. Take it as your own. The doctrine of discovery and Terra nullius, created by the Christian Church, denied the humanity of millions of indigenous people around the world and those who lived here, in Canada and the US, known, originally known as Turtle Island. And this denial has allowed and even justified centuries of acts of genocide the implementation of settler colonialism. The great Kenyan leader, Jomo Kenyatta, observed that when the missionaries arrived, the Africans had the land and the missionaries had the Bible. They taught us how to pray with our eyes closed, and when we opened them, they had the land and we had the Bible. Now, I know that wasn't everybody. It's not how it always was. But it does make me hear Jesus' words. If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring peace. Indigenous people around the world, including our own, are suffering the effects of centuries of this trauma, a trauma that we are horrified to see being lived out in Ukraine today. If only our phones showed videos of what happened here over the centuries. If you, even you, had only known. And even the continual exposing of Christian pastors and leaders as toxic leaders, abusers, power hungry, shows that we as the church, even today, are still missing the mark. The example that Jesus has set for us. And that we must humble ourselves if we are truly to become like Jesus. And we all long for what is right and just and true. And Jesus has come to set things right and will ultimately come back on the white horse to put all to rights. But we realize, we must realize that how to enact it out looks a lot different than people were expecting then and how many live it out today. The disciples, of course, they were always vying for sitting at the right hand and left hand of Jesus, right? When you come into your kingdom, wow, and Jesus would say, you don't know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. And Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup. Now I've noticed uh, any historical uh, fiction fans here, Pillars of the Earth, or uh, something like uh, The Last Kingdom, great books, uh, maybe not the best uh, shows, but something that I've noticed when I look throughout history is that there always were these men of faith vying for that power and control. They would abuse the power that they had been given in the church. But that there are always some faithful, humble women and men who kept the true kingdom spirit of Jesus alive by God's grace. So we are right on Palm Sunday to cry out, Hosanna, which means, Lord, save us. For we are all in need of saving. And we are right to exalt Jesus as king, the true king of kings. But let's not forget that as we follow him as our king, he's not about conquering, but about truly laying his life down for others. I recently just came across this book, Fight Like Jesus, showing how Jesus waged peace, not war, through Holy Week we to fight like him, it's a fight of peace. Uh, this last spring break when we were away, we got to go back to Alberta and I was able to go through some of my parents' items again and we unpacked some boxes and looked through my mom's Bible from when she was uh, on a missions trip to Japan. Some of her notes in there. Went through my, my dad's lapel pin collection Anybody got one of those? That's right, you don't need to raise your hand. Be proud of it. I stood by their grave, and I pondered their legacy to me. Dad was never one to pick a fight, to stand up and be loud. As a vice principal of an elementary school, I think it did hurt him more than the students when he had to discipline them. But I've heard stories of his leadership, of a quiet strength that did fight, that fought for the lonely, the downtrodden, the ones that others forgot. And I look back and I see a man who was willing to drink the bitter cup that his king had to drink, a life of self-surrender, surrendering power and anger and pride, my dad's fight was a quiet one of unity in the midst of divisions, of love instead of hatred and fear of peace in a world surrounded by conflict. He didn't get overly emotional, though more and more he would shed tears as he got older. Tears of joy and tears of sorrow. And I know he would shed a few tears at the Pope's apology this past week as he thought of the reservation kids he taught as a young man. And I know he would shed a few tears as he watched the news of Ukraine. And I know that he would do what he could for these causes in quiet, strong ways. Just like riding on a donkey, not a stallion. And something I found in this study this last week is that the modern Hebrew, they, they, have, they use a phrase called the Messiah's donkey. It's actually become a modern phrase. The Messiah's donkey is referred to someone who does the dirty work on behalf of someone else. And I thought, how fitting. Jesus knew what was going to happen that Friday. He knew that he was going to the cross. That he was going to be doing the dirty work on our behalf. He wasn't coming in power to conquer lands, to subdue others. He came weeping for the city in lament, seeking to show a way of peace to those who were being run by fear and longing for power. He came to show the way of love to those who are giving themselves over to hate. So I ask us again, can we live like our true king? Can we submit to Jesus? Learn from him. Become more of who we were meant to be this holy week. Let's pray together. Jesus, we exalt you as our king. We lift up your name and we praise you. But we also recognize that that comes with a challenge because we are meant to live like you. And laying down our lives. Laying down our pride. Oh Lord. Too often we fail at that. And so we open our hearts to you today. And ask that as we sing. You would fill us with your spirit. Teach us to be more like you we pray this in your name jesus amen i invite you to remain standing for our closing blessing and benediction and open your hands to receive as a symbol of receiving what jesus has for you this holy week may you know the call that jesus has on your life that he is the true king And calls for you to submit to him, to love those around him, to live as you are truly meant to be. Even if that means dying to yourself. So go today in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.